You're listening to the Bill Shaves Podcast, presented by Midco Sports Network. Midco SN proud to bring you the region's best coverage of University of North Dakota athletics, including the return of the hour-long UND Football Signing Day special coming your way on Wednesday, December 18th at 10 a.m. It's all on Midco Sports Network. This is how we do sports, and this is the Bill Shaves Podcast. Welcome to another edition of the Bill Shaves Podcast, episode 18 of the new year, taping this on a Monday afternoon. Alex Seinert, Bill Shaves here with you. Uh, we talked last week, Bill, about the fact that you know the calendar had turned and it was December and it's kind of feeling more like the holidays and winter. It really feels like winter today. Grand Fork's in a bit of a cold snap right now as we enter the middle portion of the last month of the year. Yeah, welcome. Uh, glad to uh, always chat with you, Alex. Yeah, uh cold and uh, got a few more inches of snow than we thought we were going to get. So I thought initially maybe just a dusting and uh, ended up getting about four or five inches. So uh, yeah, it is, uh, it is winter. It is here. Um, The good thing about it is that every day that goes by, we're closer to the spring. (laughs) That's the attitude. That is true. I mean, it's really cross another one off. You know, we've got about two more weeks of the days getting shorter and then they get longer. And that's nice. A little more daylight in your life. It's just springs basically just around the corner. Quite frankly, it's it's, we're on the doorstep. Pitchers and catchers. (laughs) Winter meetings are going on right now. It just it's all the little things, just the little things to look forward to. So plenty, plenty of good stuff to keep us occupied between now and when things actually do start to get nice outside, including a hockey team that's pretty dang good. Uh, which we're going to talk about at length. We'll talk a little more about uh, what else is going on around UND Athletics and maybe chat about FCS playoff stuff. That's all coming up. But uh, as we kind of transition into, you know, finals week is coming up next week. The hockey team now has moved into break. There aren't many events going on right now. It's kind of that that push towards finals. H- how do things sort of look from your chair right now as we enter this last stretch of the first semester, Bill? Yeah, so we are recording on a Monday like we normally try to do. And so tonight, uh, our ladies will be playing in Dallas against SMU. Uh, and when this, so obviously when this gets posted on Tuesday, we'll know the result of that. And then you're right, uh, really for the next couple of weeks, it's pretty light. Uh, I've got a couple couple games, uh, one on the 17th, men's basketball game against Northland. And then uh, women uh, play against Mayville on, uh, on the 18th. And so uh, all during kind of finals week as well so it's important that uh, all of our students are here and uh, they're getting their uh, their finals uh, uh, dialed in and, uh, and and finish the semester strong academically uh, you know all of our all of our student athletes have done such a great job in the classroom but um, but you got to finish with a strong kick so uh, that's what's happening right now yeah what's incredible you mentioned those two hoops games coming up next week I believe those are the only two home events for the entire month. I think I, I could be I could be wrong about that, but I mean that's it's incredible when you look at the calendar and you zoom out and when hockey's on the road and then off for a stretch and doesn't have a home exhibition game and obviously you know football didn't advance to have a home date in the playoffs and, and that's it that's that's the only two home events that will change once 2020 comes around January will be slightly busier from in terms of home events just a little bit but it's amazing to think that's just just the two next week so your only opportunity. In for the for 2019 to go see your teams in person if you're a UND fan. Yeah, you know, and uh, it doesn't mean that a number of our staff members either are not, they may be traveling with teams or they're actually doing some things from a digital standpoint. It could be done remotely. Sure. So lots of things that our staff still does uh, when our teams are playing, but you're right to think about a whole calendar month kind of knee deep in the academic, you know, year, if you will. And we've only got two. So, uh, yeah, just, just kind of the way the calendar, uh, flipped this year and some of it, Alex had to do, and we've talked, you know, at length and I'll say it again is, you know, we, we made some decisions certainly on a men's basketball side this year, uh, based on, I think the, 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 the calendar, uh, that was kind of given to us of, of the schedule. And I, I think maybe, you know, in the, in the next couple of years, we'll, have a few more uh, home games, which would be great. Uh, but this is what we have right now, and uh, you know, uh, should be uh, should be a lot of fun next week. So come on out and uh, get a glimpse of men's basketball and women's basketball on the 17th and 18th. Both games start at seven o'clock. Yeah, good chance to see those teams in person. Yeah, for the last time this calendar year, and then of course summit league play coming up in January. So plenty more opportunity on the way to see men's and women's hoops in action at the Betty uh, with summit league play getting started. 
hockey was on the road this past weekend, and this is maybe a good place to start. You talk about a team that has closed out now the first half of their season on a high note. Uh, they went to Western Michigan, who was a top 20 team. They were ranked 17th in last week's USCHO.com poll, a team that typically plays as tough as anybody in the country on home ice. And I, I had never been to Lawson. We talked about this on the pod last week. It was my first trip to Kalamazoo. You can see why they have a distinct home ice advantage. That is a really unique venue, uh, a little bunker, just kind of on the side of campus. And uh, obviously packed packed to the gills. You know, it only seats about 3,500 people or so. And it was loud and an intimidating place. And UND went in there and picked up a pair of very different wins to extend now this unbeaten run to 13 games and seven straight wins it it just the, the list of accolades goes on and on for this squad but a really good weekend for Bradbury and company to go in there and pick up a couple of wins yeah to underscore it I think Alex uh the last time Western got swept on home ice might be about three three and a half years ago and so is I think yeah. that's accurate and so uh but anyways really really tough place to play and you saw it firsthand and uh that that Friday night game was just uh crazy really I mean as far as just not many times do you have a zero Zero, zero tie going to overtime. It just doesn't happen all that often. And so um, just an exciting way to end the game. And and Gavin just made a great play kind of getting that puck uh, prior to, the, you know, getting out of the zone and uh, heard him heard him post game and said, look, re- he, he tried to look for a pass, but just nothing was there. So he again, like you, you like you tell everyone, right, get it on net, get it on net. And uh, he found the uh, kind of the short side. And uh, boy, then, uh, then on Saturday night, uh, team came out on fire. And uh, uh, one thing that happens with this team, it seems like no matter what style the game is, we can adapt to it. And uh, that's, that's an exciting thing if you're obviously a, um, a UND fan. Yeah, certainly. That's that's the mark of good teams when you can win. And and North Dakota has done a great job of winning tight games. I think they're 7-0-1 in one goal games, excluding empty netters over the course of the season. Uh, since that Minnesota State series, by the way. And then they've also blown out teams at times. They've had four games where they've scored seven or more goals now this season. Six different goal scorers on Saturday after Adam Shield pitched the 41 save shutout on Friday. They're just really fun to watch. These games have just been fun to to get to witness. And you can tell, I mean, this team is now 14-1-2. They're number two in the country. It's their top highest ranking for a couple of years now. They're just on a roll and they're having fun doing it. You just, I've, I've been on the road with this team, you know, a lot of times over the last couple of years. And I've never seen or experienced the locker room in the mood that it was after a Saturday night. Just just the the overall sense of, you know, hey, something's happening here. And guys were cheering and clapping and excited for each other. And it, it's good good things have already happened with this team, but you get the sense, you know, this if they can keep this going, it's going to be a special season. Yeah, you know what's happened, Alex, to some degree is everyone's contributing too, right? They're rolling four lines and even, you know, no matter who comes into the lineup seems to contribute in some way, shape or form. And, you know, that's both on the defensive core and, uh, and on the offensive side. So it's just been just an amazing amount of, I guess, uh, I don't know, production from so many that, uh, that probably has a little bit to do with it as well. I mean, if it maybe was just on one line per se, and and again, certain lines have have obviously been incredibly um, productive, but but you can point to various games where that that particular line was the best one of the day, or 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 sort of made the difference as to the reasons why we won the won the game. So it's been exciting for sure, and I think now they what they hit a little bit of a pause button and mm-hmm. uh, can kind of you know regroup. And uh, and then come back at it uh, after the first of the year when uh, Huntsville's here and uh, got to get back after it. Yeah, 21 days between that game on Saturday and then their next exhibition game, which is on the road this year. That's a little bit unique. North Dakota's not done a road exhibition game over Christmas for a while. They haven't played a road game uh, since that 2016-2017 season uh, when they went out to Union over the Christmas break. So it's been a little while. Normally, that's kind of a home date. Um, can you kind of talk about maybe the the idea behind going on the road and playing the national team as, as North Dakota will on December the 28th? Yeah, I, I think it's as simple as Brad's got such a good relationship with that group 
group. And I think every, uh, I'll call it every three, four years, I think they, they, they like to try to get a home game themselves. And, uh, and I think this just happened to be the year where Brad just said, you know what, why don't, why don't we, you usually come here, uh, quite a bit. So let's go out there. And, you know, for that particular team that probably does a lot of travel, if you will, um, uh, probably is great for them to be able to have quote unquote, a, a college hockey team coming to them. So, uh, and they'll be good for us. That, that's a really good opportunity. It's kind of like, like a spring training game kind of thrown into yeah. there, right? Yeah. If you will. So it's like, regardless of what the result is, uh, obviously you play the game, you want to win a game, but, but that's really not the point of it. It's to kind of get things going again so that uh, uh, obviously you're ready to go once the uh, calendar flips. Yeah, I've always said that's the smartest thing that this team does. You you have this three-week break, and then you get an exhibition game against the quality opposition. Again, the national team, obviously, is these are the guys. We saw 17 members of that team last year get drafted. I mean, this this is a team that typically, these, these are the best kids in the country. They're young, obviously, but super talented, so it's a good opportunity. Also, by the way, a couple of UND recruits are on that team, on the U18 team this year, uh, that'll be coming to Grand Forks, either next year or in years ahead. So that's exciting uh, to get a chance to see some of those guys in action. But obviously, it's, it's good as a springboard going into then the second half of the season, which begins at home the following week, as you mentioned, against Alabama Huntsville. So it's, it's, uh, it's still a ways off. It's a good opportunity for the guys now to get rested up, get healed up a little bit too. Again, UND did not have a buy over the course of the first half of the season so they've been going week in week out since the first week of October and that takes its toll it's a, even though the other has me had they maybe not had a lot of man games as you call it missed because of injury outside of Gabe Bass that's missed the majority of the first half it's a it's a banged up team you get banged up week in week out playing especially it was a hard-hitting weekend against a, a big physical western Michigan team this look. This is coming at a good time for this group looking ahead to keep the season on. Track. Yeah, I had the one weekend where we had one game only, right? But that was about it. I mean, other than yeah. that, you know, we just. Uh, you're right. Once we got going, it, it just never ended, and so now you get to, uh, you know pump the brakes a little bit. We've going to have a potentially what a couple of our, our, uh, our students over, uh, playing in the juniors possibly, yeah. possibly. So we'll see what happens there. And, uh, and that's great competition as well. And so it would be awesome if, uh, JBD and, uh, and Shane potentially could make the Canada and the USA teams, uh, respectively. And, uh, that would be just awesome for them. Um, but they go through the tryout phase. I think both teams have a, a little bit different way that they, they do the tryouts and, and so, uh, but that being said, uh, I think they're probably excited about to be able to decompress right now. But I do think, you know, obviously there's more, more happening as we go uh, into January and February. And so these guys will be, uh, they'll take care of their schoolwork and then, uh, and then get back after it. Yeah, certainly. Yeah, you mentioned Jacob Bernard Docker selected as a part of the initial training camp group for the Canadian World Junior team, uh, trying to be the first for a while. Tyson Joe did it a couple of years ago for Team Canada, and before that, it was all the way back to Jonathan Taves. So it's it's tough to make that group. It, obviously, a lot of really talented players up there, but uh, JBD has a great shot. And as you mentioned, Shane Pinto as well, uh, who's not had a chance to play in front of Scott Sandlin, who's the Team USA coach this year, but Scott will know uh, from seeing film and <laughs> knowing uh, his his alma mater how good Pinto has been he had two more goals again on Saturday night he's been fantastic so you would you would think if you're a UND fan maybe we don't plan on those guys being around for that Huntsville series as the world juniors are in the Czech Republic this year and that'll be okay that'll be all right for those guys to represent their countries yeah good to good to know uh you know, that that might be the case because it's just an awesome experience for them. They'll come back just that much better, that much, I guess, more experienced and headier for that type of competition. But I think obviously uh, Coach Barry and, uh, you know, can can use uh, can at least get to our depth and uh, and then, you know, know that there's others that uh, will be able to uh, slide right into those uh, to those slots. So that's exciting. Yeah, certainly. Well, good stuff for hockey. Again, big sweep for them. They finish the first half. Again, the best first half record. You have to go all the way back to Zach Parise's freshman season. I think 2002 was the last time they had this many wins over the course of the first half of the year. So impressive stuff for them. Let's hope they can keep it rolling. 2020 could be a good uh, could be a good spring. Good, good winter and spring if you're a UND fan on the way. There's two things that's really uh, pretty good about the last two weekends. Obviously, from a pairwise standpoint, to get those road wins are huge. And then, ultimately, the separation in points right now in the NCHC um, – 
becomes critical because truly, if if you can keep the pedal down, it's it's no different than we always talk about on the B side with the Premier League and kind of the point differentials. You know, you can only make up so many points uh, on a weekend, and so uh, so at this point, we've given ourselves a little bit of a cushion right now, but. I know if this team has their way right now, they're going to keep the uh, keep the pedal down because they want to uh, they want to get to a place where uh, obviously they they believe we should be, and uh, hopefully this team has an opportunity to do some special things. No, they're certainly on the right track. You mentioned, by the way, the points again: twenty three out of, of a possible twenty four points. I mean, that's Liverpool stuff right there, Bill. I mean, they're just not they're just not dropping points right now, and uh, obviously Duluth swept this weekend as well. So the Bulldogs keep pace, so they're only four back. But after that, again, this series with Western was big because entering the weekend, it was kind of a twelve point sort of a series. Western could have pulled even with UND if they would have pulled off the home sweep, and instead North Dakota is able to put a twelve point gap between themselves and the Broncos and everybody else. Obviously, is and, and Western's in third place, so everybody else is below that. Obviously, it's early, only eight games in for UND. They're are the half half the league's only played three series so far, so a, a ton of games left. But twenty three points in the first half count the same as twenty three in the second half. And when you're winning games like this, you know that that's just. I mean, they're the only undefeated team left in the conference, seven zero and one in league play. It's been an impressive run so far. And as you said, if they keep this up, if they stay healthy, and even if they get a little bit banged up because the depth is so good, it feels like they've got the ability to overcome those sorts of things. They're going to make a serious push to win their third Penrose Cup this season. Yeah, let's, you know, and again, I, I think, uh, you know, this this team has a pretty good perspective on it, too. And uh, um, I think they'll be excited. You were there. I wasn't. I know that there was a lot of excitement uh, post-game, and, uh, but also perspective on what needs, what the task is still at hand. Yeah, because that's just it. You haven't done anything yet. I mean, it's th- these these wins obviously are very important. It's great that they're number two in the country. It's great that they've established themselves atop the league standings and have given themselves a little breathing space. But of course, you know, if things go off the rails in February, then it all kind of won't matter. And I think the team understands that. Like you said, it's been good perspective. The coaching staff's done a great job of instilling that. It just feels like just around the team that this year just has a different feel to it. And it's been it's been fun to see them come together and have this kind of success this year. Hard to, hard to pull out one player, and I, I hesitate to do that, but you were there. Um, Adam Scheel had a heck of a weekend, huh? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yes, he did. Yeah. I mean, 41 saves in a in a one nothing overtime win. I mean, that's impressive stuff. And then followed it up with a really good performance that only allowed two goals all weekends, you know, in a difficult place to go play, especially in a building where he had seen his season end the year before after getting had a serious knee injury last year in Kalamazoo that finished off his campaign. Uh, it just he's he's been fantastic this year, one of the nation's leaders in goals against and save percentage and just kept it rolling this weekend. It's great. It's great. So, uh, no, I, I think uh, it's exciting for sure. Uh, we're set up for hopefully a, a very, very exciting uh, 2000, uh, early, early uh, months of 2020. Should be a lot of fun. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, for sure. By the way, shouts to Adam, by the way. He was the NCHC goaltender of the month for November. And then Jordan Kawaguchi was the NCHC and the national player of the month for November. So pretty cool stuff. You've mentioned a couple individuals. You could pick out a lot of them, but those those two in particular have had uh, really impressive back ends of the first half of the season. And they were recognized for that. Uh, deservedly so by the NCAA and by the NCHC. Men's basketball now also on the road this past week. Couple of tough Big Sky games against teams that traditionally have been at the top of that conference. Uh, a really close, well, honestly, two close games that just didn't go their way. 77-70 against Montana, and then they ended up losing to Eastern by 16, but led in the second half. It was just the last 10 minutes of that game. Things got a little bit stretched. A couple tough losses for North Dakota, but again, Good competition in the non-conference on the road early in the season. Good learning and building blocks for Paul Sather's group. Yeah, Eastern and Montana are not travel partners. They could be. I mean, they're only three hours apart, um, but Montana and Montana State are the travel partners. But Eastern and Montana have played in the last two Big Sky Championship games. And so, um, and I, I, I don't know necessarily uh, Montana where they'll finish, but they're usually, Travis DeCure's got them usually going uh, by the time January and February rolls around. And so I, I think it still will be really good for our team. This, uh, I'll say, sort of a summit league, sort of you're in the same band uh, 
trial, uh, uh, back-to-back games so that it gets us prepped. And you're right. We played, we were in it, obviously, in Missoula. I thought we had a shot to win. Unfortunately, we didn't. And then uh, you're right, Eastern for 30 minutes, we were right there. And then then they caught fire. They caught fire and didn't miss many shots. And uh, they kept us to almost to one shot every possession. And uh, they did a good job on the boards. And I think that was w- something that they were, you know, obviously focusing in on knowing that we've done a pretty good job on the boards ourselves. And I think that last 10 minutes, they kept us to one shot. And uh, they just, uh, you know, Jacob Davidson, uh, he really had a, had a big game for him. And so uh, it was tough. It was tough, but, uh, you know, we'll be back next week, um, get back at home, get in our beds here today and, uh, finish up the, the, uh, you know, the, uh, the academic side of life and then play Northland and then a couple of opportunities, you know, it'd be interesting to see what transpires. I know Nebraska, we play them on the 21st and, uh, and Southern Utah actually went to Lincoln, Lincoln and won, uh, mm-hmm. beat Nebraska. And so I think that was an overtime, um, and then, uh, and then we do play uh, at Oregon State before we start Summit League play. So lots of opportunity for the team. I still think, though, Alex, once we kind of get into January and February and we're back and forth and we're home more and we're in Grand Forks, I think this team's apex is still uh, in, out in front of us for 1920. Yeah, I would agree. And I think that's that's got to be what Paul Sather and this coaching staff's vision is as well. Like these are games where you get intel about your guys and you kind of find out who can step up in different moments. Um, we've seen some individuals like Philip Abracha had a double-double against Montana, was in double figures again against Eastern Washington. Marlon Stewart's been a, almost a 20-point-per-game guy at different times this year. Those were some of the known quantities coming into the season. But then also guys like Deshaun, Alan Akins that has had a, a, a big game against Eastern Washington. He's obviously, we knew he was going to be good. He He's been like that. They've had a lot of good younger players that have had to kind of step up and make a difference early on. And those things are going to bode well once you get to conference play when the games really matter. Yeah, when we get to when we get to January first for the ladies uh, at Denver, and then the men on the second at Denver, both teams are zero and zero. So that that's you know, and 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 that I've seen a number of uh, I'll call it mid-major schools that you know, depending on their non-conference, you can get caught up one way or the other. But truly, both teams start zero and zero on the first of January, and so uh, that's exciting. Um, you know, and obviously our ladies have done a nice job, and we'll see what happens tonight against uh, SMU. But you know, they've done a nice job with a young team to kind of you know get that winning feeling, and so that's exciting, and so. Uh, so both teams, I think when the calendar flips to 2020 and they're finally back in the Betty a little bit more, it'll, it'll be some exciting times. Yeah, I agree with you. Yeah, that'll be good. Yeah, the men four and seven right now, the women seven and two. But again, all those records, you can just kind of set them aside <laughs> once the Summit League play really kicks off, uh, once you've changed the calendar. Uh, so um, best of luck, of course. You have Travis Brewster's women on the road, as you mentioned tonight. Uh, when, as you listen to this, you'll know the result. And then their next game next week coming up against Mayville on Wednesday, December the 18th. Uh, men's and women's track and field, by the way, had kind of the sort of, I guess, the soft open to the indoor season. It's their only meet on this half of the calendar and then they'll begin in earnest in January but they were down in Fargo at the Dakota Classic a couple of good individual performances uh, nice to see Christine Engel's group out there running and jumping and you know just getting getting things rolling track and field Bill just it never stops does it it, it never stops <laughs> I talked to Kyle uh, Doporowski Kyle was down there and uh, you know, I just it, it always is interesting. And I know you're you're kind of the uh, track and field aficionado on this podcast, but you know, each it seems like each um, each meet kind of takes on its own personality based on where you are as a team, and and you really then you're just really kind of looking ahead to that championship meet date, if you will. And, uh, you know, Kyle said, you know, I'll say some were down there, not all, because I think based on probably where they are physically at this stage of the game, uh, if you're a track and field coach, boy, you really need to think through kind of how you're going to position your, your student athletes throughout the year. And so I don't know, maybe that's something at at some point we can talk to Christine about, but it it is kind of fascinating because you're right. It, it, for some of our, our, our performers, it really literally never ends. That's a great point about how 
as a coach, you really do have to be dialed into what your kids are feeling, where they're at in terms of their progression. Because like you said, it's all about peaking when you get to conference. And obviously it's December. So it's not about if you're doing your best right now, there's really no point because you don't have an opportunity to really win anything or advance anywhere for another two months or so. Didn't mean, by the way, we still had some good performances. Lucy Steinmeier had PRs in the 60 and the 400. She's fourth in UND history indoors in the quarter. Izzy Waite, who's a Grand Forks kid, went five, six in the high jump. She was one of the athletes to watch. She's gone five, eight uh, in this this calendar year, which is her PR, but yeah, five six to win the high jump. Zach Ray on the men's side won the pole vault. So some good individual performances. But yeah, that's it's one of those things. As a as a track fan, as you said, I don't really you don't really look so much at who won what or, or what really transpired over the course of some of these meets. But you are interested. Well, what did you what did you do? How was your performance? Who who was who were you competing against? And are you starting to peak a little bit or are you starting to improve? And I think that's as a coach, I'm sure it's a great opportunity to get you know, kids some experience, a chance to go and compete, stretch your legs a little bit literally and shake off some of the cobwebs. You know, it's different practicing versus, hey, I want to beat somebody. I got a baton in my hands and I got a, you know, a shot put in my palm. I want to go make something happen. So it's it's fun anyway. At least these kids can go someplace so close, including their own backyard at the HPC and compete against other programs and have some success. No doubt. So Excited about that. I mean, it, it, I guess from a team perspective, it'd almost be like sometimes, and, and, and you know, honestly, if we did liken it to hockey, if if Shane and JBD are lucky enough to be on uh, the, their respective national teams, you know, we're literally going to go to play uh, in Plymouth, Michigan without them. I mean, so you're you're kind of going, I mean, into some degree, I'm not sure you're, you're, you're hoping, I guess, that you're going to qualify at some stage and then you're right. Then you're going to peak right when that conference championship match or meet is uh, going to occur. So yeah, maybe we'll, we'll, maybe we'll dig down at some point in time when we get Christine on at some point, she can give us the, uh, the four one one. I would like that. I would enjoy, I think our, I think our listeners would like that too. It's interesting stuff, a little off the radar, but always fun track and field. Mm. Track and field in December, Bill. You gotta love it. Watches uh, height. I mean, it's, it's one thing that you can't really, I'll say mess up. There, it's not. It's it's really not all that subjective, is it? It's pretty objective sport. Yeah. I beat you in a race. I jumped higher, right? I mean, that's it. That's it. That's one of the. It's a simple. I mean, it's complicated, but it's simple. It's so so simple, and we've been doing it for literally thousands of years. Hmm. Stands the test of time. That's not like video replay, though. <laughs> no, stood the test of time. No. No, it is not. Not uh, are not happy right now over oh that, my are gosh. they? Well, that's that's a B-side topic. That's a good B-side topic. We'll get to that soon. Uh, before before we do, though, let's. Let, you wanted to chat a little bit about FCS playoffs, and we've, we've hit the quarterfinal stage now. We just finished up the second round this past weekend. You know, an interesting second round. Three unseeded teams got wins on the road. Now that the dust has settled, you've got six of the final eight are from the Valley and from the Big Sky. Uh, what did you make of the round of... 32 or the round of 16, excuse me, Bill. Yeah. I, I thought that it, it validated our schedule for sure. Um, mm. you know, I, I, I think, yeah, there's no doubt that we had a, an incredibly difficult schedule and I thought Nichols, I, I didn't, I, I was on, uh, I was out on Saturday, so I didn't watch much of uh, games, but I did look at, uh, it, it seemed like Nichols played pretty well for, for a while anyways, right. Yeah. It was a one point game into the third quarter. And so, you know, that team, um, had been uh, in the playoffs three straight years and had some pretty uh, senior dominated uh, positions, if you will, key positions and not surprising that they did a pretty good job down in Fargo. Um, so yeah, you know, what's, you know, what strikes me honestly is that if you're having a, a pretty good year, the differential between having that buy and being a seed versus not is just huge. Now I know there were some upsets. I get that there, there normally is an upset or two, but, uh, just so critically important to have that buy at that time of year and then to play at home. And so, and you know, that's why I like the playoffs. I mean, uh, you know, I, I, although the committee, it's a big responsibility, the committee making a decision, let's just say between teams eight, nine and 10, right? I mean, that's a huge, huge deal. And so, yeah, going forward, um, you know, I think you saw the Valley and the big sky where we've kind of straddled the fence on both of those conferences. They've, they've, they've made it pretty clear that those are the two 
the two dominant conferences in FCS. And, you know, we've fared fairly well in that that regard. We know we've got work to do and we've got to continue to get better. But, uh, you know, obviously going into the Valley now, um, our work will be cut out for us again, like it was in the big sky. Yeah, I think that from a UND perspective, you know, there's no, obviously it's not going to be a drop off, you know, when you go from the big sky, which had great success over the course of the season. They have three teams still remaining, you know, UND played two of them in the quarterfinals. And then you look at the Valley, who also has three teams still standing. UND played North Dakota State. It's, it'll be different, of course, next year when you make that transition into a different style of conference, but certainly the level of football will not change. It's, it's going to still be a difficult road week in, week out, no easy games in the Valley, just like there really weren't many easy games in the big sky. It, it, as you said, I think that the great thing about this tournament is that it usually does kind of validate like, oh yeah, these, these are the best conferences and these are the best teams. And this is kind of what we thought perhaps, or guessed that. And that's the way that it's shaken out where we really do have, you know, even if, even if we do have obviously some regional matchups here in the quarterfinals with Weber playing Montana and North Dakota State playing Illinois State and some of the familiarity that you see. But at the same time, we are going to have, you know, we're going to have typically the best teams are going to rise to the top. And that's what we're going to get over the course of the next couple of weeks. Well, it's funny, you know, in the last game, the last game of the day, I was able to, to watch a little bit because I was surprised how Sac State just kind of sputtered out of the gate. You know, it just was yeah. a weird, weird um they just give Austin P credit. Austin P came out of the gate quick, fast, and uh, and they just got ahead. And uh, but but it was weird. I, I I only saw Sac State play once, one other time this this year, and I thought um, their quarterback played really good in that game. But boy, he struggled on Saturday. I felt for him. Um, they scored some late points, but unfortunately, uh, too much uh, to overcome. Now, if you're the Bobcats and you're Montana State. You know, you you kind of put Big Sky aside and just say, <laughs> "Go pee." You uh-huh. know, I mean, because at the end of the day, you want a home game, and so that's what they've got, and uh, that's a big deal for them. Yeah, that's you mentioned that Austin P. Sacramento State. Austin P. was zero and eleven three years ago. And now they find themselves in the FCS quarterfinal. Obviously, Sac State was kind of in the same boat, but it just just shows with the change in coaching staff sometimes and guys that buy into the philosophy of a program. And you can turn things around pretty quick if if you get, you know, if you get the right people in place. And, you know, obviously, Kevin Thompson and company, tough, tough loss for them, but still the best season they've had really, I mean, in school history to, to be a seeded team. They were the number four team in the country going into the playoffs. And, but yeah, as you said, now Montana State gets a home game against an Austin P team that's got to be just over the moon about how things have shaken out. And Bozeman, I'm sure, is not going to be a very fun place to play in a week or so. I, I can't imagine that it's going to be a dry field that will not be cold. I'm sure it's going to be difficult for the team from Tennessee to come up there and play. So, I, you know, I mean, honestly, North Dakota, again, we'll probably be looking at likely two teams in the semifinals, probably three that they've played. Assuming, you know, we were Montana is a bit of a toss up game, but can you imagine that? I mean, that you and you will likely have played probably three of the last four teams remaining. It's pr- probably a pretty good chance. It's crazy. You know, it is. And, uh, you know, if you're, you know, sometimes the, part of the attrition of this tournament is sometimes, you know, teams just run out of gas a little bit too. So Austin P mm-hmm. had to play that first week. Um, I don't know if they were at home or on the road that week, but Fed had to go across country, go back to Tennessee, back cross country again. And that will be challenging and the environment will be interesting. And uh, what, what I found, and I thought it was a misprint, it was like, I, and I, I missed this, and I, so I'm going to have to figure this one out, is three games on Friday night. Oh, sure. It used to be just one game on a Friday night, so that, that kind of snuck up on me, and uh, I think that's great for the FCS, although probably not great for fans in Bozeman and or Ogden, where they've got to <laughs> kind of brave the cold a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, that game in Ogden is a, uh, well, eight o'clock, eight o'clock local time start uh, against Montana. Yeah, it'd be a little chilly probably up in the mountains, I would imagine. I am old and I am cold. I mean, those are the two things I am. And I, I'll tell you what, I am very cold thinking about that. Oh man, bring bring a blanket to all, all of our listeners out there that are Wildcat fans that are planning on attending that, or Grizzlies fans for that matter. Yeah, I'd, I'd, wear, I'd wear some layers. I'd layer up for that one. I've spoken to a number of folks that have uh, oh, regaled me in the days of uh, Memorial Stadium and in some of the, uh, some of the I'd say, weather. 
that we had. And, um, and they told me how they kept warm. You know, they figured some things out. That's what I'll tell you. Things they were imbibing, perhaps. Be lots of blankets in Utah. <laughs> They're hand warmers. They, they, you know, people are smart. They'll they'll figure it out. But yeah, interesting. Yeah, so busy, busy slate this weekend. As you said, those three games taking place on Friday evening, uh, all on the ESPN family of networks. They're online, and then North Dakota State playing Illinois State in a big game on Saturday, uh, coming up at eleven o'clock Central Time. So fun all Valley matchup there. Uh, yeah, FCS playoffs rolling right along. Um, College football, major college football had their playoff announcement yesterday, so all the bowls are laid out. Do you want to talk about that perhaps now, or do you want to save that for a B-side conversation? Or when you look at the FBS, how much of that do you, or are you able to follow just because of the nature of, you know, Saturdays in your life right now? I think that's, that's always, I think, an interesting question for people like us that are more on the FCS side of things. Do you follow FBS football as much as maybe you used to or would like to? Yeah, you know when I can a little bit is when I'm on the road with football and it always seems logical that you can always check out a game day, right? And so, um, and then you get caught up a little bit. So, but when we've got home football on a weekend, uh, I'm not watching game day. I'm usually at work and, and, and ready to roll. But, you know, if we're playing all hotel and, uh, you know, I mean, unfortunately, a lot of the times the games are a little bit later. Uh, and, uh, and so you have that morning to at least catch up a little bit. Yeah, I, you know, I thought this... Um, you know, I think four teams, you know, I know there's a kind of a move for more is always better. It seems like four is about right. I mean, the way it has played itself out, I think it's safe to say when it was two, I thought that was a little tricky. That was because yeah. Clemson would be out right now. Yeah, which would be a shame. So, but I think four. I don't know. I mean, you'd have to go back. It's only been about six years or so right now, but you'd have to go back and say, who really has been left out? The only conversation has been, why has a conference, quote unquote, been left out, but not necessarily a team. And so there's been sadness on conferences not getting in. So that's a different discussion. And I thought the committee has done a nice job, honestly. I think they've, you know, I mean, they've gotten the right deal and now you go straight to the semis you go to straight to the final four and it's exciting i mean it, it's uh it'll be interesting uh you know i think people are sleeping on clemson i think uh you know i i think this team is uh you know they, they're they're seasoned they're seasoned <laughs> they've been there before that's what sort of makes um these matchups fun obviously there's a lot of familiarity when you look at the names clemson ohio state oklahoma you know, LSU obviously is a little bit new recently, but these are these are blue bloods, obviously, that are going at it. There was are you the type of guy that was a little bit disappointed that Utah didn't win the Pac-12 and give themselves a spot at the table just for, for something different? Or, or do you really it, it doesn't really matter? No, because I, I, they had an opportunity. And, yeah. and, and really what ended up happening for the folks that kind of want the uh, quarterfinal or whatever you want, that really was a quarterfinal. We had that. We had that with Georgia, LSU. We had that with Oregon, Utah. We had, we had it. We had it. Wisconsin taking Ohio State. We had that. That was the quarterfinals. Exactly. I agree. For LSU, they put themselves in a position. Same with Ohio State, and I guess you could say same for Clemson to some degree. But I think there was more value on the wins that LSU <laughs> and Ohio State had that they actually had a mulligan if they lost one of those games. Mm-hmm. And I, it's really not a mulligan, but they, they probably still would have made the final four, even if they had lost. But it's because of what they did leading up to it, which was highly impressive. And I haven't watched it. The one thing I haven't done, though, Alex, and you probably asked the question about have I followed it. I, I have followed it more like I'll call it Monday through Friday but I don't get to really watch the games all that mm-hmm. much. So Joe Burrow, I haven't watched him much. And I hear he's had, I know he's had a great year. He's going to be the Heisman Trophy winner. But I don't know. I, I don't even know. I couldn't even tell you who he, who he reminds me of because I really haven't watched much of him play. I look forward to watching the semis and watching him play. Yeah, that's I'm I'm basically in the exact same boat of of knowing some of the names and kind of following the trends, but not actually being able to watch any of the games. You don't have that perspective on what's actually happening, you know, from a week in week out basis. And yeah, yeah, but I'll, I'll pay attention once New Year's comes around. One thing that's interesting this year, 
just the way the calendar shakes out, the college football semifinals are on December the 28th, which I didn't realize until today, not on New Year's Day or New Year's Eve, because those are on a Tuesday, Wednesday. Any opinions about that? The fact that they kind of make it on a Saturday and they don't worry so much about what the holiday schedule stands out as? It's a good question. Um, I don't know. I, I, you know, I, I, I would assume what they're putting uh, a week in between. So they're probably going what the, they're probably going to the end as far as what, when they're actually playing the final and then kicking back about whatever, seven, eight days. And so, yeah, yeah, I, I don't know. I I think if people are interested, they're going to watch it. So that doesn't, yeah, that doesn't uh, do much for me. I, I, again, back to the pod last week, talking about FCS, I do believe that if semifinals were in that same time frame, I think that would be better for the FCS playoffs. I do. I again get off of Thanksgiving weekend. I think, I think that one's a tough one for us. I think that weekend's a tough one, and I I think it would be awesome, awesome for our every every program that is in the field to have at least one bye week, one week to get yourself rested. And, and moving forward. So not to get on that soapbox again, but you kind of, <laughs> you got me into that date. And the first thing I think of, that's when semifinals should be for FCS. Uh, keep banging that drum, Bill. The FBS title game, by the way, is Monday, January the 13th. So they, it's that two week, two week gap is what they're doing. Yep. Okay. That's fine. That's fine. It should be fun. Should be fun. I, I look forward to it. I think those, you know, obviously the three teams have had a heck of a year and Oklahoma's had a great year too. So, um, and they're, they're no stranger to this thing. So uh, they're going to give, they'll give LSU everything they want as well. I like football. Football's fun. College football's a good time. If we flip to the B side, we can talk about the Patriots and see how things are going there. We, we could do that. Um, or we could talk about some other things. <laughs> No, tough, tough one for the Pats yesterday. Um, two straight losses. You know, they've lost to the other three division leaders in the AFC now. The Bills are kind of nipping at their heels for the division title. But here's the thing. If the officiating had been just a little bit better yesterday, New England probably wins that game. Not, not to go down that road. But, you know, you took two touchdowns off the board. That's tough. That's a tough one to overcome sometimes. And the next three weeks set up pretty well because they get the Bengals, who they obviously should beat relatively easily they get the bills which is a big game of course but it's at foxborough and then they finish with the jets or they finish with the dolphins excuse me so i mean you've got you've got this run of games where they should win at least two of three probably all three they'll be the two seed they'll get a first round by obviously if you want to flesh it out playing the chiefs unless crazy things happen playing the chiefs you know in the second round of the playoffs is difficult and having to go to baltimore also is difficult but but it should be hard if you want to go to the Super Bowl, it shouldn't be easy. So I'm, I'm, I'm fine with it. It's fine. We've been to the Super Bowl three straight years. <laughs> it's fine. Regular season losses don't bug me so much. We'll be okay. No one's going to uh, cry for, for you or any Patriot fan for sure. But um, no. yeah, it's just weird. I didn't really watch the game, I'll be honest with you. And uh, I saw the highlights and it was just kind of odd. It's like one of those... Again, back to I think if you're an official, you probably want to let it go, and then you can always flip it the other way. But once you either rule it down or you say you're, it's just it's what they didn't have a challenge left. Is that that what I heard? They, they did not because the challenges that they used, which Bill was right on both challenges, and not you know neither of them were given to him because the standard is so high. Like the one Bill threw a challenge flag on a offensive pass interference and a spot because Bill likes to do two for once, which I always think is funny. He, he challenged both on the same, the same play. I don't necessarily know if he can or not, but he basically said like, you were wrong on both of these things. I want you to look at both of them. And that's Jerome Boger said it like, well, the Patriots are challenging the spot and they're also challenging offensive pass interference. And he was right on both of them and they didn't give him either. Like now nah, the call on the field stands. It's just the, the, the bar, we always talk about this with VAR stuff, but the bar has been set so ridiculously high for some of these things that they just don't want to be wrong. So they just kind of keep it as is. It's crazy. So anyway, yeah, they didn't have any challenges left. And then both touchdowns that were touchdowns were not ruled touchdowns on the field and they weren't under two minutes and a half. So they weren't automatically reviewed. So I think you know, go. going into the playoffs, you're going to have to think through this. And I, I, I do think you have to, uh, you got to keep one of your challenges, right? You got to keep a challenge. Because I, I would say that if you become – now, again, help me with this. If it was the Saints games last year, that would be automatically reviewed probably by the booth inside of two minutes? 
Oh, we're, we're talking Saints, Saints Rams, the, the terrible pass interference. So you game. have a challenge. When do you have to hold your challenges to? Is it inside of two minutes? In, inside of two, correct. But now the thing is, though, like with that Saints game last year, if that would have been this year, I don't believe that they can, only a coach can challenge pass interference. You better have that in your hip pocket. Yeah. I mean, if, if, if here's the deal. Maybe this is the silver lining and maybe Bill just wanted to be make a point. But at the end of the day, and it's a regular season game, so he can make yeah. points. But at the end of the day, my guess is he's going to have a challenge flag in his hip pocket toward the end of a playoff game. Because you would, you would at least want to be able to say, you need to re-review that. Now, again, the bar may be so high that it doesn't matter anyways, which is a whole nother story. Really? I mean, what are we doing? I mean, really, what are we doing? I, I, what are we doing? Yeah, I, we're struggling is what we're doing. I, it's, it, it, yesterday was, again, when you watch these games, sometimes you just kind of, you just sort of wonder, sometimes you wonder what's the point, I suppose, but also like, what are we, yeah, exactly, from an officiating standpoint, what's the goal? You know, what are, what are we trying to do? And, and how do you help the officials? Because it's yeah. almost a, just a, a, almost an impossible situation that they're in, in some ways that, um, you know, it's not going to be perfect. It's just not. And so, you know, it's just funny that the better we've become from a technology standpoint, I guess the more frustrated folks have and almost have said, just go back to when it was just a human element. Isn't that crazy? Because it's true because you feel better about it. The, the problem has always been, and this is the same thing with soccer as well with VAR, when the person sitting at home in their living room can look and clearly see what is true or what is fact or what should be the way it should be and the people but but you have no power obviously and the people that are officiating a game either don't have the same looks that you do for some reason or have the same looks but deem that they're not good enough to overturn what's happening on the field or in uh, as we've seen with var sometimes this year have just decided to do whatever they want to and have like vigilante justice and make things up on the fly and i think that's what's so infuriating if you didn't have the technology and you couldn't see it then it wouldn't hey you know what you saw it one time and that's it and you got it wrong whatever but it's like when, when you can see from your couch you're getting this wrong and it's affecting these results it's just infuriating and, and, and the two things that are probably more infuriating for folks is Two things, just I head shake, is we didn't have that angle. That's not great. Mm. And that's the truth. It could be. so, But others might have the angle. So we might want to just make sure and connect the dots there. And then the other one is it's not reviewable. Okay, got it. <laughs> so, okay, got it. And so it's going to affect the outcome but it's not reviewable, whatever it may be. And so whatever. I mean, I, but you're right. VAR has been interesting to say the least too, but it seems like there's been less and less. Maybe I, I, I how should I say outrage the last few weeks? Yeah. I think part of it has been circumstantial where there just haven't been as many incidents. And I think also too, part of it is that they, people's now the expectations are so much lessons where you just you just assume the VAR is not going to overturn something. And I, I think the, I think the league we had that one weekend where there were so many bizarre decisions and VAR was stepping in all over the place and and then the league just kind of did an about face and said, "You know what? Yeah, this is too much. We're just going to have this be he's just <laughs> the VAR is just going to watch. And if it's so egregious, they'll change it, but it's going to take something like that for us to make any kind of difference. And it really hasn't been that big of a deal in the last month or so. I agree. I don't think it really has been. I, I, uh, the one, the one that did happen over the weekend, uh, excuse me, over the last week, and it was interesting call and I could see it go either way. And I was with Paul Ralston as we were watching it, um, is the man U game against Tottenham. And, um, I forget who it was. One of the Tottenham defenders, uh, stepped on Rashford's foot. And, you know, I mean, Paul, really no no real dog in the hunt so to speak um he kind of thought it was just two guys playing running and playing and that's what happens you're running by somebody but they ended up turning it around and and, uh and calling it a penalty which wasn't called on the field so i don't know if you saw that one or not but it was just interesting i mean i i don't know that's where i think the human judgment of it all would have just it would have been play on if you will because it wasn't called but then it kind of goes back and changes the dynamic of the match tremendously. Yeah, not to mention the Liverpool, same with the Liverpool-Tottenham match last year in the final. I mean, that, that whole match kind of took a different, 
I don't know. It, it just got weird, right? Like three minutes in. <laughs> well, not even. I mean, it was like 26 seconds into the game when when the, when the penalty was called. It's quick. Uh, yeah, I think Salah scored the goal. Yeah, a couple minutes later after they got it all sorted out. Yeah, goals change games. I mean, in in a, in a sport where one nil might be all you need, one goal or one penalty claim can make a huge difference. And yeah, and Spurs obviously Spurs lost that match two to one to Man U this this past midweek. That was a big decision. That was the game winning. Obviously, you know, obviously contributed, of course, to Man United's win. And the tricky pieces, Alex, is I don't know, and, and you probably know it generally. Uh, what is the what is the success rate on a penalty kick in the Premier League? Eighty percent. So really, you're you're giving a goal. That that's really what you're doing. Pretty much. That's a big decision. Yeah. I mean that that is, and how many how many matches are are determined by a goal? And, you know, probably a good percentage. So you put those two percentages side by side. That's one heck of a call. I was sad. <laughs> yeah, those are those are tough, especially when they go against your team like that. And uh, and that, would, that, you know, the, the only the lone loss in the Mourinho era, you know, and a tough one at, at Old Trafford, obviously, is not not a place that uh, he would have wanted to taste defeat. And but you bounced you bounced back at the weekend five nil over Burnley. It made it look pretty easy. Some really nice goals in that game. Again, you're scoring beautiful goals. You're having fun. First clean sheet under Jose. Yeah, the the, uh, the thing that I thought Jose said after the Man U match, I don't know if you caught his comments, but I don't know how he said it, but he said it something similar to this. Man U plays better against better sides. Hmm. And uh, they played well on, over the weekend. I mean, they beat City, right? Beat City. And so, so uh, interesting. I mean, in some some outfits are are just wired that way sometimes where the, the the game maybe is played more open and and you have more opportunities and maybe when they're playing someone else and it's maybe less uh it gives you less uh opportunities during it they don't fare as well and so again Jose the philosopher I mean the guy is just he's everywhere he's everywhere he's he's bringing ball boys to lunch prior to games just telling you um he's got deli alley going he's got sun shot out of a cannon if you saw that did you see that highlight? that was a beautiful run that was that was the goal of the weekends where sun just ran through the entire burnley defense and scored that was that was incredible literally i counted them all there was only like two <laughs> behind him he had to go through like nine of them oh man here's the thing though you need to I, i'm i'm not going to tell you to not be excited about what's going on right now because your team has been really really bad for the last really for the last year or so it had been a been a been a tough run so it's great when you're having some success i just think it's so the best of holiday seasons coming with all these matches all these matches lots of matches on the way lots of fixtures coming i am up. spending my holidays with jose Mourinho. oh my gosh i enjoy it this year it's just <laughs> poor bill i'm i'm just i'm not going to say much but i'm just going to say there there will come a point where you will look back at this time these are archived bill you can't these podcasts don't disappear these are these are on the record and there will be a time where we'll replay some of this <laughs> <laughs> and uh and, and i'm gonna chuckle he's been a breath of fresh air oh, that's boy. what he's been yeah well i don't disagree right now great right now he's he has brought what they need to uh tottenham he can take the scoring that they have and just tighten them up i mean i'm getting i'm ready to watch our set pieces that we can defend just a little bit better oh boy this is a classic case of the seinfeld serenity now insanity later situation i mean this is this it feels good now just give it a couple months bill or everything evens out right even steven yeah i got 20 bucks oh hey look at this yep i mean this things will things will even out in the jose era and uh, i just i'm not convinced that this is going to be this era of good feelings that he's bringing to the club right now that's not who the track record would say that's not who this man is here's 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 what i'd say is it's nice to get a bump because we needed something yeah (laughs) <laughs> at least we're at least in the conversation right now. I was afraid we were going down, down, down. And like I said, I love Potched. He did an awesome job. I'm not feeling for him. He's going to be just fine. Someone's going to yeah. scoop him up. Uh, it's just going to be a matter of what job he wants. 
Yeah. Yeah. So Spurs right now, seventh place in the EPL. You're in this weird group of like eight teams that are all within three points of each other, kind of stemming from about fourth place or so down to about 11th. Uh, it's yeah, it'll be a, when you look at the season right now, 16 games in, there's still 22 games left. So there's over half the season to go. There's still so much time to kind of figure things out. You're moving on to the Champions League. You have a meaning, meaningless game against Bayern coming up at midweek. You've got other competitions that you can sort of invest in. And yeah, if, if it works out, you know you're going to push for top four. You, you made the right choice probably at the right time to switch managers because you still have plenty of time in the season to get it turned around and still accomplish the majority of your goals for the 2019-2020 campaign. Yeah, I, I would say you're right. And uh, But I'll tell you, I did watch a little bit of Leicester. Boy, they've been playing great, huh? I think eight, either eight or nine wins in a row now for the Foxes. I mean, they're, Manchester City's loss to Manchester United means that they're 14 points back of Liverpool. I mean, City, are, are, I don't want to say they're out of the title race, but they're basically out of the title race right now. Leicester, however, have been the only ones that have been able to keep pace during this crazy run by Liverpool. And they're, they're eight points back, which is still a, a fair gap, but it's only three games. I mean, if you go on any kind of a skid, all of, it doesn't take long to make up those points. And they're, I mean, they're, they're a quality team. They won the league just a handful of seasons ago. So, and some of the players from that group are still there and they've got a talented young squad that is playing really well. Leicester play Liverpool, by the way, I believe on Boxing Day. So those two will meet in the next couple of weeks. And that will be that uh, an old fashioned six pointer at the top again, Bill. So look forward to some of those matches coming up. What, what was Brendan Rogers's deal? I mean, just his time just kind of came, uh, you know, because he's obviously done a nice job uh, in a variety, in, in a couple of different places he's been, right? Yeah. So Brendan, uh, Brendan began at Swansea and had a great run with the Swans, with this kind of creative, you know, possession-based football, kind of the Spanish style a little bit. And that was really effective. And, and he brought them up from the championship to the league. And then he moved on to Liverpool. Uh, Liverpool had a stretch where they just really were kind of going year in, year out, just managers that weren't that great after Rafa Benitez left. And he brought solidity to the club and kind of gave them, obviously they, they spent money very well. They brought in Luis Suarez. You know, they had Daniel Sturridge firing. They had this incredible 2014 season where they came, you know, within a Steve and Gerard slip of winning a title and you know they finished second in the league that year and you know Brendan was kind of hailed as a genius but he was always he's a very unique personality and he's kind of been portrayed as being a little bit enigmatic is not the right word um he's he's just an interesting man and they had uh Fox did a documentary on Liverpool a couple of years ago when he was the manager uh, the year after they finished second and it was you watched it and he kind of came off as being a crazy person a little bit whether that was some of the editing or, or whatever but he uh they finished second that year in 2014-15 they did not have as good of a season the next year they had some guys get hurt they had to sell off Suarez the year after that and then you could kind of tell like it had just sort of run its course you know like any manager he was there I think for four years that was about that was about right. And they started the next season poorly. Uh, Jurgen Klopp was available after he had left Dortmund. And so they pulled the trigger and decided, let's let's let Brendan go, even if it seemed a little bit harsh, to bring in a better manager. And obviously, they've not looked back since. And then and then Rodgers Rogers went to Celtic and won the quadruple like three years in a row in the Scottish Premier League. And, uh, and now has turned Leicester into another title contender. So he's, he's a good manager, certainly. He just, yeah, we have nothing but fond memories, for the most part, of the Braj on his time at Merseyside. No different than really what Tottenham is with Potch. Really, at the end of the Pretty day, much. Po- Potch's history will be really kind to him. I mean, he did a great job there. So, uh, And then it just, uh, it just seems like uh, in that league, it just sometimes you just need, I guess, a different voice, right, to, to kind of get through to, to some of their guys. And just it's fascinating, the buy, the sell. I, I saw where Chelsea can now purchase uh, players in January. That got reduced, huh? Yeah, their transfer ban, yep, lifted. So they will be able to be a player in the market come January. Yes. So they weren't cheating? I mean, we determined that, or the the penalty was too harsh. They decided the penalty was too harsh, I think, in the end. So they, they decided they were cheating, but not cheating as egregiously as initially reported. So they only got one one window instead of the two-window ban that they had been initially subjected to. Got it. 
Well, they, they, I think, lost to Everton over the weekend, so that didn't disappoint me. Yeah, speaking of new new manager bounce, yeah, Everton fire Marco Silva after they lost 5-2 to two to Liverpool at midweek. They bring in Duncan Ferguson, who's kind of a club legend, and the guy, speaking of ball boys, Duncan Ferguson was like, <laughs> he was, he was bear-hugging the ball boys on the side of the, uh, the pitch after they scored, but yeah, they had a big win against Chelsea, and so it's just crazy. You can kind of, a new voice sometimes makes a big difference in that sport. It's amazing. But there yep, you go. It's it's crazy. Well, I, I look forward maybe the next B side at some point we can maybe uh, debrief the uh, winter meetings at some point. There's been some movement, you know. Last year there uh, there there really wasn't a whole lot. I mean, but there's been some trades already, and I'll be very interested to see what the Sox end up doing. I mean, there's been a, a lot of at least conversation about moving bets. That's a that's oh, an gosh. interesting one. I, I mean, that's a hard thing to say, isn't it? Yes. I mean, it really is. I, I, boy, I, I don't know. Um, I'm not, I'm not emotionally ready to talk about this. Let's just assume that nothing's going to happen and it's going to be fine. And and we'll cross that bridge when it comes here. Here's okay. I'll leave you with this. I'll leave you the B side with this is that, and then we will talk about it afterwards. I, (laughs) if they do trade him, which I'm not opposed to in, in general terms, I hope it's the national league. Yes, goodness, yes. Yeah, you know, I, I read something over the weekend where they're talking the White Sox. I'm not excited about that. Yeah, the only thing I would say is that if, if again, I, I am against this. I don't think they. Sh- I don't think there's no reason when you've got the money that the Red Sox do, and you've got the type of talent they've got. There's no reason you should trade a 27 year old superstar. There, there's absolutely no reason to do it. However, if they are. If they've decided to go down that path, I I would much rather him go to the National League. But at the same time, I think you got to take the best package available. And if it's if you're if the White Sox are offering whatever you know the Bob Barker price is right, you know the trip and the car and the whatever, and the next best deal is not even close to that, but it's a National League team, you got to take you got to take price package A. I mean, I just I just think you can't necessarily say hey. We're going to take less to get him out of the division. I don't think you can do that. I think you have to take the best package available, even if it means, obviously don't send him to the Yankees or anything like that. But if it means sending him to another American League team outside of the East, I think you got to do it. Yeah, I, I just, I, I'm, I, I get it. I t- completely get it's, uh, you know, they, they don't want to hamstring themselves from a financial standpoint, but that's their guy. I mean, yeah. 27 years old and to, we've, we've pounded this before, but boy, that you only hope, to groom a Mookie Betts. That's all, that's all you hope to do. And so, so now you've got him literally between it wasn't, it doesn't have the Jacoby Ellsbury feel to me. I, I felt like, I felt like the Ellsbury piece, there were a lot on the odometer at that point, And I felt like that one, I was actually okay with. I felt like, you know, he had spent what, four years or three years at Oregon State. There was a, he came up a little bit, I want to say older, but I mean, he just, it just felt like, we had got the best out of Jacoby Ellsbury, whereas I think uh, I think Mookie Betts, um, boy, his next five years could be pretty dang good. Uh, yeah, I would agree with that. So I don't know. So there you go. That I'll be interested to see how this plays itself out. I uh, and and here's here's the last thing. If they do end up trading Betts, I hope. They also can figure out then uh, maybe getting rid of another salary that they don't want as well. Well, that's, yeah, I mean. If that's the case. You're saying David Price, one of the point of the pitchers? I guess. Be, I mean, I, you know. Those are about the only salaries that are kind of eyesores at this what point. What do you think roster. of all these salaries? Is that an eyesore? Well, but that was a deal, though, that I was all in favor of after what he had done in the World Series last year. Like, that's what's so, that's what's so tough. Like, you got to that, – that one I didn't mind nearly as much. The, the price deal, maybe, and the, the sale deal, those have been a little more – those were difficult to take in the moment just because you sort of knew, I don't know if this is going to pan out the way we wanted to. But Ivaldi was – I mean, that guy, even, even with the injury red flags, I, I didn't mind that one, I guess, as much, but – yeah, I, I, I think it, it was uh, interesting. I, I think they're going to have to figure him out, though, coming into this year. Is he a starter? Is he? I mean, I, we just yeah. got to figure him out because yeah. obviously had a, had a tough year this past year, as did a lot of uh, guys on the team. Devers was a bright spot. That guy was a stud. And he's 22. I mean, he's that's the thing. It's still him. It's still Bogarts. If you bring back Betts, 
Martinez apparently, you know, has opted in. So, I mean, they've got so many good position players. They're going to score runs. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. Just to follow up, by the way, Ellsbury was on the wrong side of 30 when he signed that deal with the Yankees. I mean, so he's a, he was four years older at that point. And like you said, had been with the team, had been with the Red Sox for seven years after playing a full college career. I mean, there's... And there were some injury concerns there. I this 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 to me is just the complete opposite. And I know Mookie's only got one year left, right? One year left on his current deal. And Jacoby was a free agent. So it's not exactly apples to apples. But at the same time, I just think they would be... You're never going to get value that's equal to a guy that was the MVP last or two seasons ago. So we're belaboring the point. I know we said we weren't going to talk about it, but of course, like a good <laughs> Red Sox fan, we're talking about it. So Because uh, you can't help but talk about it. Do you think Boris would allow him not into the market? Like, like what, what's the chances of that happening right now? Like probably zero, right? Yeah. I mean, so I, I, I get where the Red Sox are coming from. It's like they probably would be willing to figure out what is market appropriateness, but they probably don't want to get to that place and then risk losing them for nothing. I could see that, but this is, this is not Christian Erickson that wants to leave Spurs and is going to walk if they don't do something. I mean, this is, this is a guy that wants to be in Boston. Can I talk about that for a second? Uh, why, why isn't he playing at all? Like, what, what, what be your thoughts on that? Because it is fascinating. They've kind of gone on like, like he doesn't even exist. Yeah. And then he, they bring him in for 20 minutes or whatever. But what's your thoughts on that? So anytime this happens, obviously there's probably been a discussion amongst the club or amongst him and the club's representatives that he probably does it. I think for the club, they don't want him to get hurt really is is the issue right now. I think they've made a decision that his value is not going to decrease if we don't play him. The only way his value can decrease from what we'll sell him on in January is if he gets injured at some point between now and the January transfer window. So the goal is, unless we are in a desperate spot where we absolutely need somebody to play a creative midfield role for us, he's not going to step foot on the field. We're going to put him in cotton wool and then we'll trade him off and we'll sell him off in January before he can walk at the end of his contract, which would expire in May. That's that's basically the only explanation for this because he's obviously he's either, he's still their best midfielder. Really, from a he's the only guy that can play that position. He's one of the world's best creative number tens. It, it doesn't make any sense that you wouldn't play him, but it does if you have millions and millions and millions of dollars at stake and you want to preserve that value. So uh, they've just they've just made the choice. I'll take those dollars in, and then we'll go figure out what we're going to get for him at some point. Pretty much, yeah, I think so. Yeah, which is smart because he's not. How should I say? He doesn't look sad on the sidelines. No. He's just like, this is part of the business. Yeah. He knows he's going someplace else soon and he's going to get paid. and It's going to be fine. He's fine. He's okay with it. Everyone's fine. <laughs> right? They're winning matches now and they've kind of figured things out with like Mora and Son yeah. and that's, they said the heck with it. They don't need him. They just let's keep him healthy and we'll trade him off and it'll be fine. And then maybe they get some reinforcements based on that trade off. You would, you would think so. I mean, that would be what they have to be hoping for right now. Probably, preferably, probably at the fullback's position, I, I would assume. They would like to maybe add a defender or two, Bill, in this window would be smart. But we'll talk about, we'll talk about your January wish list and all those other things for future pods. <laughs> That's it. That's it. All right, Alex, we, we went overtime here today. Uh, always. It's tough when you start talking about the Sox and uh, it's just, it's easy to. But hey, uh, you enjoy. Stay warm. You as well blankets all that good stuff we will uh, we'll <laughs> we'll talk again soon talk to you later oh bill shaves you gotta love it big thanks as always to bill of course to our producer cassie niles i'm alex Siner. thanks again so much for listening you stay warm out there and we'll chat again next week 